0: it's the musical theater book club let's talk about a show welcome to musical theater book club where we talk about our favorite musicals our least favorite musicals and everything in between i'm berkeley
1: Who's and
0: today we're taking a different turn on things and we're talking about just the history of broadway just like a general history um and sort of how it came to be and all that kind of stuff I don't think we really need to talk about our personal connection (laughs) to Broadway. (laughs) I think it's obvious at this point.
1: (laughs) We're also together today, which is exciting. We are.
0: I know. I drove down. So the audio quality will probably be better than normal.
1: Woo! Yeah, this will be probably one of the few ones that we have, because you'll be moving soon. So all of ours will probably be back to Skype. Back
0: to Skype, yeah. Yeah. Face to face, baby! Face to face! This is exciting. So let's start off with, what is Broadway? What is Broadway? What is Broadway? That's a question. There's a whole Uh,
1: book that you can read in the uh, What Is Who is series for children. Oh. I have it in my classroom. Well, there we go.
0: So, today we are actually going to be doing a dramatic reading of that book for you. So, obviously, Broadway, we know, is uh, part of the theater. It is part of the theater district in New York. Um, Probably the. uh, It is the professional theater. No, I don't want to say that. It is one of the main attractions for New York City. It's located around Times Square. So. It's 41 professional theaters, and we talked about this in our Tony episode, I believe.
1: Tony one, and then the Apollo Theater one.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. The location is Midtown. It's forty second, 41st Street. is the south border, and the north is 65th, but most are located around 42nd and through 49th, which is sort of Times Square area-ish.
1: Yeah, and there's only three theaters that are on the actual Broadway Street, which is the Broadway Theater, Palace Theater, and the Winter Garden, which I did not realize the Winter Garden was. I always feel like... It's not far, mm-hmm. but just from based off the shows that I have seen, they're usually, like, really close. And, it, yeah. and then when I saw Beetlejuice at Winter Garden, it was, you know, not far, but I was like, oh. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it feels weird because I think when people think Broadway, they think Times Square. And most of the theaters are around Times Square. Winter Garden is not.
1: Yeah, right. it's in an odd spot. But, yeah. you know, you trek the whole, what, half a mile to it? Yeah. Not that far. Right, it's not far. You can go to Ellen Stardust Diner right next door. Yeah. Which we should do a whole
0: side podcast mm. about how great they are. Uh, the true. So the smallest Broadway house is the Hayes, which, the Helen Hayes, and I, oh, I can't think of the show that was there. at the top of my head. And the biggest is the Gershwin. Actually, I thought the Broadway theater would have been the biggest, but I, guess, I think it's the second biggest. So then, as well as Broadway, you also have off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway. Off-Broadway is less than 500 seats, and then off-off-Broadway are 100 seats or less. And this is usually avant-garde theater or non-traditional venues.
1: We can end up cutting this out, but just a question. Have you ever seen anything off-Broadway? Or... Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. Um, I saw the play that goes horribly wrong.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, they, that was at New World Stages.
1: I'm not going to remember anymore. Yeah. I've only seen one off-Broadway when I went in high school. Yeah. It was like Jump, I think. Oh. But it was cool, yeah. And I mean, Little Shop of Horrors, I think that's important to know, too, is that off-Broadway doesn't mean it's, you know, less no. less or anything like that. I mean, as we saw, you know, Little Shop of Horrors was there, and they had Jonathan Groff and Christian Borle who were very big name star so Mm -hmm. it doesn't automatically mean that, like oh i saw off broadway it's not good enough or anything like that no it just has to do with like the number of seats and locations
0: exactly and off broadway isn't doesn't always mean i mean usually yeah it'll mean not necessarily on broadway so usually you will have to travel a little further like new world stages is a couple blocks away
1: i feel like the other thing too like we don't want to go too deep into off broadway but i feel like the other really good thing about it too is you would get to see shows before they become big things you know we've already talked about this in our shows past and as we continue, like, most shows start off-Broadway and then go on to, like, it's very rare that something just automatically is on-Broadway.
0: Yeah, normally, not all the time, but a lot of the time, shows will either start off-Broadway and transfer to Broadway, or they'll have an out-of-town tryout and transfer yeah. to Broadway. Like, Hamilton did the Public Theater, and a lot of shows do the Public Theater, which I believe is off-Broadway. Like, Hamilton did it, Chorus Line did it, Rent started at the Public Theater. So a lot of shows, a lot of shows, big shows start at the Public Theater, too. That's good to note. But we're
1: here to talk about Broadway, baby.
0: Yeah, we're talking about Broadway today. <laughs>
1: On Broadway. I didn't know for the longest time that, that song was not
0: like in, in a show. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh It's in a show, it's in Smash. Let's get back to the history. So at its core theater is storytelling. And you can that can be traced back for years. We're not gonna go all the way back. We're talking about American theater, baby. <laughs> So um, New York Theatre starts in about 1750 with Theatre on Nassau Street. They produce Shakespeare plays and ballad operas, and it was actually done by a professional London troupe that would travel to the U.S., which I think is really cool. They were officially set up in 1753, um, but were suspended due to the Revolutionary War.
1: So the theatres that were built at this time, was the Park Theatre, the Bowery Theatre, were in the modern-day theatre district. They are in Lower Manhattan.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and theatre, one thing I thought that was interesting is theatre really started downtown, but down there you also had places like uh, Niblo's Garden, which opened by Soho, and it produced a bunch of acts, and also, if you've seen The Greatest Showman, Barnum had an entertainment complex, and you see the development of that, that was also in the same area. They also had a number of opera houses downtown at the time, opera was huge. But one thing that I think is important to mention, because this hasn't really changed, is that at the time, entertainment was divided by class. Upper class, or opera was for upper class and upper middle class. Minstrel shows and melodramas were for the middle class. And variety shows were for the working class. And I would love to be able to talk about all these different types of theater at some point. Like, maybe mini episodes.
1: Yeah. Just in general, I think it's interesting. Like you said, even still, opera still feels like a higher...
0: It feels unattainable.
1: Yeah, like I couldn't imagine going
0: to an opera. I would go. Modern operas are cool because they're almost strict spectacle. Because that's the only way you can really get people to watch them. Um, So they're interesting to see. And, like, if you just, like, look up pictures of operas, they're crazy. They go hardcore because they have people supporting them.
1: One of the early plays were William Shakespeare plays. It's just one of those, like, fun pieces of history that there was, which I kind of knew, but just, like, reading it again. So one of the biggest performers in these early times was Edwin Booth. Mm-hmm. who was you know the brother of john wilkes booth yep who shot abraham lincoln and i just i guess i never really put it together that the booth theater is named after him and so after edwin Booth, yeah. uh, not, uh, not the one that murdered the president <laughs> the other one which is fine i'm not saying it should be renamed but you know it's not his fault what his brother did but it was just yeah. one of those things where it's just kind of this weird just it's a weird history and woven yeah. into theater
0: yeah And I think that's a a whole thing because theater is a cultural thing. You have a lot of history woven into it and like the development of theater and why things are popular when and all that kind of stuff all goes through with what's going on with history. I mean, now history, what's going on in the world at that time, which is why theater sort of changed. And we'll sort of talk about that a little bit today as we get further down, closer to more modern theater. So the move from downtown to midtown happened about 1850 Because real estate was less expensive there. It's weird to think, but that was all farmland.
1: Yeah, I meant to look and I totally forgot. There is a beautiful, I know it's a children's book, but there is a really good children's book about Manhattan Mm. um, that came out, I think, earlier this year or the end of last year. And it just goes over, like, the entire history of the island of Manhattan and how it was developed. Mm. Not just theater specifically, but it's very beautifully well done. And yeah, it is really interesting. Because they also talk about like how Central Park got started, mm-hmm. which is pretty, not super far from you know downtown yeah. and Times Square and the Broadway area. So it's just an interesting thing to imagine, you know, these areas that are now millions of dollars being just like, so okay. cheap. Like, yeah, this cheap farmland where yep. everyone's like, eh, whatever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, the mayor opened it up for people to move out. He was like, hey, everybody, it's cheap out here. Come Come live here. <laughs> So in around 1860, Oscar Hammerstein the first, we all know the second, but the first built the Victoria Theater on 42nd Street, which is no longer a thing. It's now a different building. I don't know about you, but as I was looking up these particular buildings, there's buildings that mentioned in my research that I haven't mentioned yet, but I would look up to see what was there now. And a lot of them are just like high rise. I mean, it's Manhattan, so like, duh, but they're like high rise, like business buildings. And it's interesting to look at Google Maps and be like, that used to, that was, like, a theater at one point. <laughs> it's weird. It's an interesting thing.
1: Yeah, so then, so theaters started moving um, towards Union Square and Madison Square. And it wasn't until the 1900s when Times Square sort of became, like, the hub of where theater was.
0: Mm-hmm. That's when all, all the different theaters started popping up around there.
1: And if you thought Hamilton and falsettos were long shows...
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. So the first musical that really started to develop the modern thinking of, let's put singing and dancing and tell a story. The first one is called The Black Crook. It's a five and a half hour long performance. And it ran for a record-breaking, wait for it, 474 performances.
1: That's a lot, though.
0: That like, For the time, that's a lot.
1: Even if they're doing a performance a day, that's more than a year's worth of performances. Like that's yeah. longer than some shows have run on Broadway. And- Another one that was around a little bit before this time, that going back just a tiny bit, we also saw comic operas. So, you know, Gilbert and Sullivan, things like the HMS Pinafore. So when we were going through, you know, they mentioned some musicals and like the one that you had just mentioned, not musicals, but just different shows. But this was the first one where it was like, oh, I know this show. So I just thought that was a good one to throw in there too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Runs of shows during this time were super short, The most, as we get to like the early 1900s, that a show had run was 657.
1: Performances.
0: Performances, yes. (laughs) Performances. And at the same time, the theatrical syndicate was formed and they controlled most of the theaters in the U.S., most professional theaters in the U.S. for about 16 years. And I think this is what really helped establish Off-Broadway, mainly because this syndicate controlled what we would call Broadway. And these not necessarily less professional theaters, but these other smaller theaters were developed and created outside of these. this syndicate.
1: Yeah, so I'd say the early 1900s is about when Broadway really started to switch over to what we know as what Broadway is. And so in 1906 is when the electric signs were first installed. So, you know, if you think of Broadway or you look at pictures, you think of those beautiful, brightly lit signs. And so they chose white lights because they wouldn't burn out as quickly as the colored lights. And so this is how Broadway got the nickname the Great White Way.
0: Mm -hmm. And I mean now, a lot of the theater signs, like the Booth Theater and the Schoenfeld and all that kind of stuff, they still have white lights, but then the marquees will be usually LEDs, the marquees for the actual shows. So then by the 1920s, the Schubert brothers had taken over the majority of the theaters and they were in control. And to this day, the foundation still, we'll talk about it a little later, but the foundation still controls almost everything and there's that goes into a lot there by the end of the 20s we all know great depression's happening is starting i should say and films started going up on the upswing and broadway had to learn how to compete with uh, the talkies with the talkies because they were adding sound and everything at this point and stuff like vaudeville did not continue on they completely shut down Uh, Not completely shut down. And I I, I honestly think there's a lot more cultural things going on with vaudeville as to why it shut down as well. It was not a great thing. um, But musicals at the time began to borrow from vaudeville and music hall and other light forms of entertainment, comic opera and stuff like that. The emphasis was put on the stars and the big dance routines and popular songs and less on plot. Almost very similar to what's going on today with the spectacle. Although spectacles will still have a heavy driven plot whereas saw uh, shows from this time really focused on more review type stuff where we're not really looking to tell a story we're just looking to dazzle you with some singing and dancing and some big names
1: yeah and this is where we started to see you know our ziegfeld follies
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then you know music standards by gershwin porter kern and rogers and Hart came from this time period Shows like Porgy and Bess, Anything Goes, those sort of things started to come out of this time
0: period. Mm -hmm. And even with those shows, we can still see the plot is there. So that's, and that's where our modern musical theater develops. The shows, and this sounds bad, but like the shows we know and still know the names of, like Anything Goes and Porgy and Bess, it's because they're, they're the things that helped develop musical theater to how it is. Today, if I said Betsy, I'm sure most people wouldn't know what that is. It's... If anyone knows Betsy, um, it's the show that Blue Skies was premiered in. It wasn't even the composer's song, though. And like I mentioned, the shows that we still know the name of are the shows that really helped push the storytelling in musical theater. And one, the first one to really do that was Show Boat. And it really brought the idea of integrating the book and the score with the dramatic themes. And if you've listened to it, it's a beautiful show. It's a big show. It is a big show. And then at the same time, this is also when we really started getting a drive in American playwrights, which was not a thing. America at this uh, before this time was really just focused on singing and dancing and entertainment, which isn't bad. But in the 1900s, that's when um, Eugene O'Neill, Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller, they all started popping up. And this is also where we get a lot of political themes because the wars were going on. World War Two was going on at this time, so we started getting political themes in shows as well. There, that could be a whole podcast: political themes and theater
1: (laughs) we're going back slightly pre-war but you know after the depression broadway started to enter the golden age so we got oklahoma which came out in 1943 and this is one of our first really big shows Mm
0: -hmm. and i think it's important to mention too because the depression ended in 33 right yeah yeah so this is 10 years after the depression had ended too which it's i think it's a huge thing
1: this is also right in the middle of World War II that this came out. I was trying to see if that was part hmm. of it too, so you figure
0: that could be. Great
1: Depression ended in 33, and people are probably trying to it's, I mean not that we would bounce back from a depression greatly now. No. But obviously different then. so people are probably trying to spend time bouncing back and all that. and then World War II started in 39 to 45, and this came out in 43. so it came out right in the middle of World War II.
0: Okay. So Oklahoma comes out and that's when people start demanding shows more like this shows with these plots. And this is when we get the golden age. Oklahoma is the show that really sets off the golden age of musical theater. And the golden age lasts for about until the sixties, late sixties, seventies. It's sort of art. Art is not perfect in time wise. You see this in, in other art forms as well. It's not like we hit 1960 and the golden age is done. And we're strictly into the post golden age era. Um, they sort of, not combined, but they sort of mesh together where we're still getting these shows that focus on these Golden Age thoughts, but then we're also getting shows that are very much um, post-Golden Age shows as well.
1: Going back slightly, one of the other things they talked about for breaking up Broadway and off-Broadway, something that had happened. So in 1949, the Actors' Equity Agreement had granted smaller theaters in New York the ability to hire union members to perform as long as they are paid a token salary alongside non-union members. So this union contract laid out legal division between Broadway and the newly defined Off-Broadway theaters, And so that started kind of having this split division between Broadway and Off-Broadway.
0: Okay, that makes sense. When the 60s hit, this demand that we're talking about with the Golden Age started to go down and the area around Times Square got worse and legit shows weren't really produced anymore. I mean, the 60s is when the post-Golden Age sort of starts, and you get shows. These are Fosse shows where we really focus on the dance a lot. So, Chicago, cabaret. Um, 69 is when hair happens, and I think that's sort of almost what starts off like the idea of modern-ish musical theater, where we get rock music in musical theater, and we're focusing more on entertainment value than anything. And I think with. The Times Square area getting worse and people not really wanting these heavy plots anymore. We needed to find another way to entertain. As artists we have to find ways to entertain people so they found ways by really bringing back the music.
1: We see this continue until the 80s and so in the 1982 there was a Save the Theaters campaign so trying to help keep the theaters from being sold, developed, turned into you know new different buildings, getting rid of the theaters. The bill was introduced to make Broadway and Times Square area an historic site, but it didn't pass.
0: mm it did not. The same group then tried to establish the theater district as a historic district, but that and that worked. So then their job was to make sure that each theater received a landmark designation, and the mayor reacted to this by creating the Theater Advisory Council, which I think is awesome.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure they're probably happy about that now. Like we said at the beginning, Broadway is one of the biggest New York tourist attractions mm-hmm. there is.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's was a good move on that mayor's part. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Since then, Broadway has really stayed the same. I mean, obviously, small things will change, but nothing, nothing big has really happened.
1: Till 2020!
0: Till 2020, when we get the coronavirus and all Broadway shuts down. Uh,
1: yeah, from March, March 12th, um, Broadway officially shut down and is now shut until at least January 3rd, 2021. We will see, you know, as we get closer to the end of the year, if that gets pushed back again, but... As of now, almost the entire year Broadway has been closed.
0: Yeah. God, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. So now that we've sort of gone into the history of Broadway, let's talk a little bit about how Broadway works. Because I think there's a lot of questions to that and and what it really takes to put on a Broadway show. Because there's a lot of moving parts. Um, so we'll start at the top with the producers and the theater owners. These are the people that really make Broadway productions happen through marketing and funding and all that kind of stuff. And I think Smash really shows that off well. <laughs> I was just going to say,
1: we so I've never, I never watched Smash. We're not going to get super into details of it, but I didn't watch it when it was on, but I have started watching it right now because you can watch it free on MBC online. And yeah, it definitely kind of gives you that backstage see of like mm-hmm. all the little things. It's not just like, Oh, here I wrote this show. Let, yeah. I would like to do this now. It's like, no, it costs, it costs money. Yeah. Not just like a little bit of money. Like it is, Especially, it's not cheap.
0: Yeah. I think, obviously, Smash has a lot of added drama to it, but I think it does very well of showing what all the moving parts of a show and what it takes to get to Broadway. So many of these producers are members of the Broadway League. It's an organization that helps promote theater, negotiates contracts with unions, and administers the Tonys with the American Theater Wing. The League and the unions will then work together and... Uh, do projects and events to help promote theater. And these are all over New York. I would love to do like little mini episodes on some of them, um, like Broadway and Bryant Park. Yeah, I love, of Bri- I love Broadway and Bryant Park. Um, there are, out of the 41 theaters, there are a couple that have nonprofit theater companies. These are the Lincoln Center, the Manhattan Theater Club, Roundabout Theater Company, and the Helen Hayes Theater. Everything else is owned and managed by big I don't wanna organizations, I guess yeah, they are organizations. I almost said corporations, they're organizations. The Schubert organization owns the most. They have seventeen Broadway theaters. Uh, the Niederlander is in Next Vegas with nine and then and then there's
1: (laughs) there's a third one we can't pronounce.
0: (laughs) And they have five. But the Schubert's and the Nederlander's are the two big ones. And, I mean, if you know Broadway, I feel like you know <laughs> you know these names. I mean, not only do they control, these organizations control, but there's also theaters. There's the Schubert Theater, and then there's also, also the Nederlander Theater.
1: Yeah, so when I saw this, too, I was just like, ugh. Oh. Yeah. That is how I felt. You know, we talked about this in the Apollo Theater episode about how white people are owning all the theaters and just hearing i don't know it just you would like to think something that isn't grossly overreaching, and then it just makes you look at the shows that make it to broadway and then you just kind of wonder and you look at shows that didn't make it to broadway and just like does that have a part in it probably but i mean i don't i'm not trying to like bash on these organizations that i don't know anything about but it's just Owning 17 theaters seems a little excessive.
0: <laughs> yeah, it really does, and that's like the Apollo Theater. I mean, we talked about it in the episode is is owned by a nonprofit, so it would be like that nonprofit, like the Lincoln Theater, Lincoln, Lincoln Theater, Lincoln Center Theater, and stuff like that. But even then, the three I didn't mention it, but the three first couple of theaters that are owned by nonprofits are under the same like another organization together.
1: There's a really good Wikipedia page that we'll tweet out that, that I really liked that just kind of goes into a list of the Broadway theaters. So like we said earlier, there's 41 active Broadway theaters as well as nine ex- existing structures that previously hosted Broadway theaters. So there's still nine places that are up that they haven't torn down that used to be theaters that have turned into other things. So that was kind of cool too to be able to see like my first thing was, oh have I ever been to any of these which I haven't, but it was cool to see, you know, one's a store, one's a hotel. One is CBS now, which I was like, oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just cool seeing like what they just have turned into. But I also really like this Wikipedia page because it goes into the end yeah, list of the Broadway theaters. So it tells you the theater name. It also tells you what the theaters used to be named, which I thought was really interesting. It's cool to see like some of them have never changed. Like the Booth Theater's never changed. Um, Circle in the Square never changed. But then it's cool to see like some of these like the Hayes Theater had. And different names in yeah. its existence. Yeah. So like just hearing like the diff- the changes of these names. But the other thing I really liked about the, this one versus this other Wikipedia article I was looking at is it also tells you what the first show that was in this theater was, oh. the longest running show in this theater, and what's currently playing in the theater.
0: Oh, I like that. That's cool. The Internet Broadway database also has a whole section where you can look up stuff specifically for theaters. And it'll tell you, but the only thing I don't like is it doesn't really show you name changes. So you'll be like, really, this theater has only been around for 10 years. What, what was it before? And then you'll be like, oh, it was under this name before. So I think one thing I want to give light to is the backstage side of theater. Like, we go see a show and all we see are the people on stage, right? But what we don't see are the people who have really helped put this show together. We don't see the director. We don't see the creatives. And we don't see the people backstage, in All Blacks, getting their work done. We don't see the stage managers, so I want to give a quick shout-out to them. Just a quick (laughs) shout-out. And I think one thing that theater does now in particular is they really work on attracting people so they will cast big-name stars in shows, and they will find film stars. And this is not just an American thing. It happens over in the UK as well. Um, So they'll get film actors, and they'll come be on stage. Stunt casting. (laughs) And again, another topic that has been big recently it was covered in smash um when smash was a thing but it's also been big recently with cameron dallas um, and is done casting a good thing and all that kind of stuff
1: well even waitress did that with a few people too waitress they had like
0: it. they had colleen ballinger um, oh
1: wasn't tagrick hall, hall
0: was with colleen they they played Ogie and don opposite each other um, i mean even they, they even did it with sarah morales i mean she wrote the show but that's a stunt casting i'm sorry and i mean People like Catherine McPhee, she played that role. Not necessarily sound casting, but it's still kind of sound casting. It is, it's, it's real. Yeah. I mean, she started off with film-ish. I mean, she's, she's on American, American Idol. Idol. Yeah. Um, and then moved around. Jordan Sparks played.
1: <laughs> yeah, Jenna. Waitress had a lot of
0: Waitress, casting. Waitress kind of needed it, though. <laughs> but there are people, there are actors and dancers that work primarily in theater in New York. And I think they're important. And a lot of the time it's unfortunate but these are the people who end up replacing and not originating roles
1: like you mentioned too about the importance of the people behind the scenes and we talked about this a couple of episodes ago when we talked about hamilton and one of the special things about it is we kind of get to see some of them but i feel like Anna Lee Wright, who you know we interviewed and is great but her tiktoks go into a lot of details
0: about mm-hmm. these
1: backstage things and even recently like to this episode she had one talking about how like when you're done with a show, you need to get a costume right yes. away and you need to get out of your stuff right away because they need to collect those and those people can't go home until they have them. And they've probably been in there working longer mm-hmm. than you have that day and, like, you need to get out of it. And it's, like, you know, it's one of those things where it's, like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I wouldn't have, like, thought about no, that. No, <laughs>
0: you, you, you really don't think about it. I mean, not, I, I'm not trying to discredit actors, but a lot of time actors have just 30-minute calls before the show. They they show up they do the show and then they can leave. There's tech people that are there working beforehand. Costumers have to be there to prep stuff, clean stuff, all that kind of stuff. Mics have to be prepped beforehand. Uh, sets have to be checked and maintained and all that kind of stuff. So a lot, especially with these bigger shows, so a lot of the people that we actually see are, again, I don't want to put them down anyway, but aren't putting as many hours as some of the tech people. So we we need to give it up for the tech people. One thing that's that we can talk about in this episode is the runs of shows, and we've sort of talked about it already. But why, why are some shows big, long-running shows, and why are some not? And what sort of affects that? And, I mean, it all really goes back to sales. And that's, I hate that so much. <laughs> but it goes back to, are, are the backers getting their money? And if the producers still feel like they, they are getting their money returned, they will keep the show opened. So that's why we have long-running shows. Like, Phantom is currently the longest-running at 7,000-plus shows.
1: And going back to Smash, you know, not trying to do that, but especially I think season two is when it started where like, I don't want to go into spoilers of Smash for people haven't seen it, but they start talking about that where there's like two different versions of the same show and they want to produce this version because they think it's going to sell better, but they the people who wrote and made the show really like this other version mm-hmm. because it's more authentic and more real.
0: It's it's upsetting to know that when big Broadway shows are being created, That kind of thought does have to go into it. It's really upsetting that they just can't create a piece of art and keep with a piece of art. Um,
1: Yeah, and that's not saying that, you know, modern shows are bad or anything like that. But, yeah, you do look at certain shows where you're just like, is this show actually good or is it just popular?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's definitely something you have to think when you go see theater. You really, I mean... I am all for people going to see theater just for the pure entertainment value. I I don't, I mean, I do that, (laughs) but at the same time, I think about it from like the point of view of a creative. I like to look at a show as what could be fixed, what could make this better. Because I mean, as a creator myself, I like to look at things and think about how I can make shows better. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm sitting there critiquing them like a critic would, but if I see something, I'm like, okay, how could that have been made stronger? How could it, maybe in uh affected something else all that kind of stuff that's how i sort of like to go into theater yeah it depends
1: what show you're going into you know i'm not going into the spongebob musical expecting this deep dark show like i know what i'm getting into that doesn't mean it's not super fucking fun like it is great but i think it's also different because you know we are coming from this background of enjoying theater like berkeley said he's much more technical but even i'm more of a like theater fan whereas like it's different than people who are just like are not that are not theater fans or and like we talked about how broadway is a big tourist attraction in new york and if people are gonna go and they're not broadway theater fans yeah there are shows they're gonna want to go see more specifically and it's gonna be either shows that have a long running and have proven themselves because they've been on broadway for so long or shows that are a disney show
0: yeah yeah it's all it's all about how to attract people And what are people going to see? And I mean, yes, there is a devout theater community. There, A bunch of theater people are going to go see shows. But it gets to the point where, okay, we have the theater community, but how do we attract people who aren't in the theater community? And that's what they have to think about. And I mean, there's some shows, I think Waitress could be one, honestly, where, okay, the the hype has died down with with Waitress. And um, really the people who like it are the Waitress fans and the, the theater people but that's not enough to maintain a show
1: like i don't know theater and i'm gonna go to new york am i gonna see phantom or dear Evan handsome which i think is a little mainstream ish
0: yeah it's yo, like get in
1: there or lion king or am i gonna go see girl from north county yeah. or Town.
0: like yeah Hades Town has a little more pull because it won the tony yeah, but yeah. it also has the pull of the theater people. I know. So I originally I was going
1: to say Jagged Little Pill, but then I was like, well, I guess people yeah. might know that one if they know Alanis Morrison. Yeah.
0: Girl from North County is is going to be a hard one to market because it's Bob Dylan.
1: And it is interesting just seeing how shows manage to survive, how they get there. You know, we we talked about Heathers didn't make it to Broadway. Mm-hmm. We talked about, we haven't talked about Bonnie and Clyde on here, but that one had a really short run and I love it. Like, I just mm-hmm. recently found it and was like, this is amazing. Why was this not on here longer? And then there's some shows that kind of just scrape by, and you're like, "Oh, thank God!" And I feel like "Come From Away" is one of those where yeah. it's amazing, but it doesn't get that hype. the one. It
0: doesn't get that hype, but they're still doing well. They're still kicking it. And then there's other shows, Avenue Q, who they beat Wicked for Best Musical, but then Wicked's still on Broadway. Avenue Q is not, although Avenue Q did have a long off-Broadway run afterwards. I think actually at New World Stages. But yeah, no, they after almost immediately after. Um, Avenue Q closed, they opened a Broadway production and it ran for and years. I'd rather
1: watch The Green Witch than the Puppets Having Sex. What
0: can I say? As someone who like creates theater and does theater on the regular, it's really upsetting to know that when it gets to Broadway because we all we all imagine Broadway is the end all be all. Once you get to Broadway you've made it. But this is a whole other discussion to have at some point. But it's really upsetting when you know that it's really all just come Back to the money. I mean, it's it's the bi- one of the biggest pulls to New York City. It's it's a lot of tourism annually for them, um, and it's it's upsetting to know that that's a, a lot of the thought process in shows goes to how much money they're going to make back.
1: And this is such a bummer, but I almost wonder if that's part of the reason why we get so many like movie adaptations totally. and all these jukebox musicals. Because it seems like especially in the last few years, like even when I was looking at this list the other day, you know, it's like Diana a Turner musical I know when we went to New York last year there's the Temptations musical which I want to still see but that's a side note but like <laughs> there's um there's that the MJ one that's supposed to be coming out
0: yeah.
1: and I'm just like oh,
0: that's what it is I mean you think about it now stopped. we're currently in a recession or something like that
1: yeah I think we're technically still in a recession
0: yeah and th- when we hit a recession and people start losing money theater goes down because theater isn't necessary although that's a whole other topic it is <laughs> um but you have to find ways to draw people to theater. I mean, think about it, like when did we get out of the last recession? Two thousand eight? Two
1: thousand nine? It started in two thousand eight. I don't okay. remember exactly. maybe eleven
0: ish, maybe. Okay. Out. So then like let's think about the shows that were released between like two thousand eleven and two 2000- thousand whenever this one, sixteen? Seventeen maybe? They were more original. Or at least they're they weren't based off of big movies and stuff like that. I mean, we have to Bring It On, which was, but like, I don't know. They're more original, I would say.
1: Yeah, and I'm not saying every jukebox musical is bad. I'm not saying yeah. every movie to um, stage adaptation is bad, but it's it's a lot. And one. Some mm-hmm. of them are my favorite. Again, I love Lily Blonde. Yeah. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Bring It On, I love. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Heather's phenomenal, but it's just, and I feel like if you're gonna do it. And I haven't obviously, I haven't seen every single adaptation, but, like, I I like the ones that do some of a change. So, like, Beetlejuice, for example. Mm -hmm. The first act is mostly based off the movie, and then the second act is mostly based off the show. Or do something like Anne Juliet, which we haven't really gotten into much because it's only on West End right now, but they, it's a jukebox musical, but it's not like a, here's the life of this person, let's sing it through their songs. They made a show, and they just used popular, like, pop songs, which I think is... Awesome. Because yep. it's an original idea, just using, like, popular songs. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'll take it. Like, if we're going to get 800 jukebox musicals, give me that. Mm-hmm. I am mean, all I can just think about is in, like, 20 years, when we get our Lady Gaga and mm. Taylor Swift and Beyonce jukebox musicals. I know.
0: I mean, and Juliet is the first one to really bring music from, like, our childhoods.
1: No, wait, wait isn't there? There's the Britney Spears one, too, isn't there? Like, Once Upon a Time something oh god
0: oh
1: wait you, you know what i'm talking about right no
0: i oh i've heard of it
1: once upon a one more time is a jukebox musical based on stories of a fairy tale princess and features songs by britney spears
0: well i think this is a good time to end the podcast <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening where can they find us
1: you can find it well you can email us please email us no one has emailed us every time i open it, it gets so sad because it's just like <laughs> spam emails from like hey, did you see this tweet that someone wrote on Twitter? And I'm like, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm always on Twitter. <laughs> um, so you can email us at mtbcpodcast at gmail.com, and then you can find us on all of the social media, not all of them, but all the interesting ones. You can find us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Um We mostly cross-post things, but I would recommend following all of them, because not always. Um, yeah, they're pretty fun. We're really fun on TikTok. Twitter would probably be the main one, I would say, just because we tweet out most of the stuff we talk about, so that's yeah. a good place to find it. But if you want our opinions on other theater things, you know, reach out. Also, you know, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. If you are leaving a review from another country, please email or tweet or DM us it so that we can see it.
0: Mm-hmm. I, think, I thank you for sticking around with us for this different episode. We are back to a show next week. As as of now is the plan, um, and I don't think that'll change. So we're back to a show next week. So we will see you next week. Bye. 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 Thank <laughs> <Ew. laughs> you.